Life Audio. Hey, thanks for listening to the Happy Rant Podcast. I want to tell you about our partner, Visual Theology. If you go to visualtheology.church, you can check out the full slate of resources that they offer. Visual Theology is one of the best biblical and theological resourcing sites on the internet. There's digital resources, there's print resources, and as you can tell by the name, they are visually inclined. So the, the idea is beautiful, well-imagined design to help us understand the Bible and theological concepts better, taking difficult passages of scripture, big theological concepts, and putting them into a visual form, whether that's in a book or on a poster or on a t-shirt, that allows us to better grasp what those mean, along with some really clear written biblical teaching. So if you're a parent, if you're a teacher, if you're in ministry, especially youth ministry, college ministry, if you're a small group leader, or if you just want to understand the Bible and theology better, visit visualtheology.church and use the code HAPPYRANT at checkout for a 20% discount. You will be astounded at the quality of the design as well as the clarity of the teaching. It is an, an incredibly helpful collection of resources. So again, visualtheology.church and use the code HAPPYRANT at checkout for a 20% discount. I also want to let you know that we have a Patreon site. For those of you who aren't familiar, Patreon is a site that allows listeners like you to support content creators like us financially. We joke a lot about uh, being big business mavens and how much money we make on this podcast. The answer is uh, we actually don't make very much money on this podcast at all. So the financial support that many of you already give and that we would love more of you to give is really helpful for covering our production costs, for doing spinoff things like our sports show, for doing live events, all of which have a cost attached that would otherwise come out of our pockets. So if you go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Happy Rant Podcast, you can check out our site. What you'll find there is a chance to give any amount monthly, could be a dollar, could be a thousand dollars at different tiers. We will send you free signed books. And then here's the kicker. We do bonus podcast episodes exclusively for our Patreon supporters. We try to do them weekly. It probably comes out to be more like 35, 40 times a year. We've done over 50 of these since we opened our Patreon account. So you have all of that backlog. These are exclusive. We don't release these in the normal feed except occasionally exclusive for our Patreon supporters. So again, go to patreon.com slash happy rent podcast. And we would love it if you were able and willing to support us for any amount monthly. Lastly, I want to highlight our sports podcast. Ted and I do a sports podcast. It used to be part of this feed. And for some of you, it was a highlight. For others of you, you were like, skip that mess. Well, it is its own thing now. So you're welcome to those of you who don't like sports. For those of you who do, go to wherever you get podcasts and search Happy Ranch Sports. Please subscribe to it. Share it with friends. You'll be familiar with it. We're not analysts, we're not reporters, but we do some analysis. It's a lot of fan interaction. It's what we love about sports. It's how sports interact with life. We talk a lot of uh, a lot of nostalgic sports, what we used to love, how we played growing up, how we became fans, those kinds of things. We'd love it if you listened. It's a really good time. Just go search for Happy Rant Sports wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for listening. Hey, welcome to the Happy Ramp Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined as always in studio by my good friends, my partners in radio, Barnabas Piper and Ronald J. Martin. Boys, we have some intriguing questions to discuss 
including a writing thing and an academic thing. Um, very excited to talk about both things. And very and excited listen, to be listeners are not listeners are not excited about writing or academics. That's a that's a not that's not a solid subject list. That is true, Pipe. Like most people aren't excited about those things at all. Um, and in fact, I'm not excited about them sometimes, <laughs> you know, like just to be to be crystal clear on it. We'll get into that and much, much more, boys, right after this quick break. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. All right, we're back. Boys, I love how we're doing basically radio for free now, but we're still doing ad breaks. That seems like, uh, I don't know if that's cool or like some kind of big meta joke uh, or what. But um, I, I consider doing- it I consider it naming it and claiming it. Um, we are just we're going to name these breaks and we're going to claim, you know, an outpouring of blessing and uh, and it will come. That's my that's my working theory and bad theology. Folks, this is us pretending to do a radio show that makes money. And uh, part part of pretending is putting the ad breaks in. So we will continue doing that pipe. You hit the group chat with a very intriguing proposition. You said that you had a professorial slash academic question that would resonate with both Ronald and myself. And uh, I'm kind of dying to get into that, man. What do you got? All right. So um, as you both know, I, I started seminary about a month ago now. And uh, so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm multiple assignments in, I'm multiple weeks in. And here's what I've realized. And I can't reconcile this. So Ted, my question for you as a professor is, how do you decide how much to assign in light of how much might be assigned by all these other professors. Let me caveat it this way. I have one professor, he's a very nice man, who said, this should be about 15 to 20 minutes of reading per day. Uh-huh. A, nonsense. Uh, B, if I have 20 minutes of reading per day in four or five classes, that's a lot of reading per day. Uh, so that's the general question. And then I have a follow-up, but let's just get into that. Like, how do you consider this in light of what, what else they might have going on in their academic lives? Yeah, that's really good. And I actually have a follow-up for you on seminary. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get into all these things, but to me, and this is kind of foundational, let's start it out by saying like Ronald's father, I'm not a big homework guy. I'm not a busy work guy. I mean, if it's not directly tied to some skill that they need to learn, and we're going to take the shortest path possible toward learning it. So I don't do a lot of busy work in my classes. Like the assignments are pretty direct. Um, I feel like they always know what they're supposed to do, and it shouldn't take them too terribly long to do it. 
Um, because I'm a, I'm a big proponent on students having a life. And part of being a writer, you know, I teach writing, is I want them to have a life and be experiencing things and have time to read for pleasure. And, you know, so I'll, I, I assign reading, but the reading I assign, quite frankly, is it's fun. Like, it's commercial reading. You know, it's not textbook-type reading. So it's it's go, you know, read some pages of this book that sold a whole bunch of copies because it was really, really good. And, um, you know, I know it's a, it's a bit idealistic to think that they don't hate the homework in my classes slash want to do it, but I think that's mostly the case. Um, and I just try not to exasperate them with it, you know, because I know they, they will have profs, especially in these core classes, that just load them up with kind of an ungodly amount of homework. Um, does that make sense? It, yeah, it does. And I, I would venture to say, I think you're the exception, not the rule when it comes to choosing how to assign. I'd be curious to hear, you know, Ronnie's experience of this going through. What are you on now? Like your fourth postgraduate degree? No, Judas Priest. Al- no. Almost, um, almost Dr. Martin. Yeah. Well, I'm so close yet so far, uh, you know, if you guys get what I'm saying. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, it, what I'm fascinated by, and obviously I'm not a prof like, uh, like Big T, but um, I, I just, fi- I, I finally had to ask like some profs that I felt like wouldn't be offended by the question, like basically like this thing of like, um, dude, like how, is it just up to you to decide these things? Or is there like, <laughs> is there some standardized way of making these, of like assigning Are there rules? work? Because, yeah, because you know, it's so fun. And I finally had guys say, oh no, no, it's literally like, it's literally just up to me. Yeah. And I said, well, well, here's the thing. Like, I, I think that you are reasonable in what you assign and you're not so about like stacking the work as you are us act- actually grappling with and then grasping the thing that we're trying to learn and you're trying to teach us. Mm-hmm. And I said, and you and because the way I learn is I don't like I don't like all you know, I don't like reading four books a day and I don't like sitting behind my laptop. So I, to me, the best teachers were the ones that gave me space to actually think about the thing they were trying to teach and not overload me the other way. And then you have the other people that are like, it doesn't, all they, all they seem to feel like they want, all, all it feels like they seem to want you to do is be able to check the box of the actual work. Yeah. And so I, it's just so baffling to me because it's like that you have a great experience with some of these guys, some of these yeah. women as well. And, and like in others, you just, you don't, because it's like, do you guys, like, do you understand there's more to it than just like, like the, the part of like writing and reading there, there's like more to it than that. And I don't know. I'm still baffled by the whole process, to be quite honest. Yeah. So here, here's part of the problem. That's that's really good. And I'm baffled by it, too. So even though I'm in the business, I'll just add that I'm also very baffled by it. <laughs> and I, I think, like, the problem is there's no way to measure if you're a good professor or not. Right. So a lot of professors, especially the insecure ones, will kind of make this logical leap where they go, if my syllabus is really big and it looks like I'm assigning a whole lot of work, then the administration will think that I'm good at my job, right? And they can talk about pedagogy. They can show you the 900 assignments that they posted on, you know, Canvas or whatever online, you know, garbage thing that you're using that's supposed to make your life easier but doesn't. And there's a certain kind of prof that gets really excited about that process. And then there's profs like, me and and probably you baby if you ever get into it who don't get excited about that we get excited about 
like sharing genuine magic with my students. Yeah, you want like, like you want like inter- you want that interaction. That's kind of yes. why you show up in the morning. That's it. I want the interaction. I want to share something with them genuinely that's awesome, right? Like read this thing. This is amazing. Like this is a great example of what we're trying to learn. So give it a read. And and the and pinnacle we'll of that is when they all the pinnacle of that is when they all stand on their desks and shout, "Oh, captain, my captain." Is that right? <laughs> yes, exactly. And Good. get mad I'm, at their dads. I'm just going to make sure their- I was tracking with you. Well, Big T, I, okay, nice, I, got, yeah. I got a question for you, T, um, oh, yeah, yeah. given that you're on the other side of this. Um, yeah. So, okay, that makes something you just said makes sense to me. And I always wondered this. So when mm-hmm. you create a syllabus and man, I'm telling you, this <laughs> this show is already super compelling, guys. Oh, oh it's simple. But when you uh, when you <laughs> when, when we start using words like syllabus, we might as well just stop recording. Throw in yeah. rubric and we'll lose everyone. It'll be great. Yeah, 100 <laughs> percent. Exactly. But but since we're on it. And since yep. we've already lost literally every listener and sponsor at this point anyway. We don't um, have any sponsors. Yeah, it doesn't big. matter anyway. Yeah. So, <laughs> so no, but when you create a syllabus, I never thought about the fact that does it have to go before a board for them to approve? Or do you just have carte blanche with that? Can you just make it whatever you want? <laughs> okay, so here's the funny thing. The syllabus is the single dumbest thing in academia, which is saying a lot because there's so many dumb things. Is it just uh, perfunctory? It's something you have to have? Yes, it's perfunctory. You email it to, like, the higher-ups. It goes in a file. Nobody ever looks at it. Um, You know, I use it to convey a couple of things, but, like, I go through it on the first day of class, and then I'm basically like, don't be the kid who slavishly (laughs) checks the syllabus because I'm going to change a whole bunch of stuff, right? Like, we're going to spend more time on some things and less time on other things. And So the syllabus is for your your bosses. Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's not a useful document at all. It's not readable. It's not meant to be readable. Um, it's a huge pain. And, you know, much like the homework thing, I try to make mine as direct and clear and kind of uncluttered as possible. But that's kind of hard to do with a document where you have to include a bunch of language. Like, so the higher ups will send a whole bunch of language on certain things that we have to include in there. And blah, blah, blah. We're getting deep into the weeds of it. But suffice it to say, I don't have a high view of the syllabus. Um, Because, again, it's another one of these academic documents for which there's no real world, like, analog to it. You know what I mean? You don't get a syllabus. You don't, like, go to the syllabus section at Barnes & Noble and, like, buy one, you know? Um, <laughs> nobody's flipping through syllabi on the beach or on the on the subway or whatever. So. I mean, there there are those dudes, and I, yeah, I yeah. Mean, are you? I don't know if you're pumped that I use the word perfunctory or not, baby. But I just yeah. wanted to ask. I am pumped. I, mean, I I like the word perfunctory because it applies to so many things in the academy. Like I feel like maybe that's the only word I, I've taken from my nine degrees. Is I learned yeah. a word that's called perfunctory. <laughs> things that you do for no reason, right? And um. Okay. I try to use it every sermon I preach, too, just to say, guys, you know, it's a it's a perfunctory thing for us. Yeah, that's we... good. Yeah, you should work it in. You know, you, you got to you gotta make, make good on these degrees now. I mean, you've spent $1.2 million getting them. And, and, you All right, know. I could have not gotten a degree and just retired super early, but I just yeah. went ahead and got a degree. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who wants that? That sounds terrible. It you sounds know. horrible. I'd rather just be doing degrees. Exactly. Doing degrees. Piper, now, I have a question for you vis-a-vis seminary. All right. Because we kind of know now since Ronald's been in seminary for nine years, we know... The the entire life of this program, he's been in seminary, yeah. Dude, I haven't, man. It it makes me so mad to hear you say that, too. But 
Okay, go on. Go on. It's we, not your fault. It's my fault, but I'm just saying. Baby, you're being a bad vibes guy now. Don't don't do it. Um, <sighs> we we know Ronald's seminary persona, and it's complain about seminary all the time and books and reading, but also talk about it all the time. And I feel like almost every seminarian has a persona. My question to you, Pipe, is what what is yours? Uh, TBD. Or is it unclear yet? Okay, yeah. yeah it's, talk about that. It, we're in the formative stages. Um, so the, the, the seminary that I'm part of is almost entirely remote. So it's not like there's not a lot of people in Tweed walking around on a, on a nice Baptist campus somewhere. So I don't, I don't mm-hmm. get to sort of play off of that either for or against or in rebellion. So it's, it's all online except for a couple three day intensives per semester. Uh-huh. So, and I Which have my first AKA all seminaries now. Okay. <laughs> is it okay. really baby? Having, you would know because you've seen the transition from like the stone ages to today. Cause you've been in seminary that whole time. Um, I, on the other hand, am new to this. <laughs> so it, so I have my first one next week and I'll have a much better idea of, of what, what it all, how it all works. Then um, what, what I've discovered is that what I anticipated my persona being is likely not to be the case because mm, when I hear that. seminary, I think, uh, youngish aspiring theologians who annoy the fire out of me. Uh, yeah. And if I'm in school with those guys, I'm going to be, I'm just going to be mad all the time. Um, sure. Just dislin- disliking all of them. This is all going to be a grind. Um, what I discovered is most of the people, and maybe this is all seminary now too, most of the people who I will be entering school with are, are all like dads, and ranging from late twenties to like mid fifties, so and I so I kind of sit right in the middle there, and and so it's like oh these are all normal people doing ministry work. Some of them are like master electricians. There's an HVAC tech there, but they're all kind of heavily invested right. in their churches. All of which mm-hmm. actually tilted my perspective a lot towards oh I, I might actually like these people instead of. I have to go to school with a bunch of 25 year old aspiring NT rights. That sounds awful. Um, <laughs> so, so, so there was, there was a whole category of vibe that I think is just off the table for me. Cause I think I might actually like the people I go to school with, um, which is pipe. I think you're going to dig it, man. I, yeah. It's, I, I do mean, all, because all I, I, promising. I know some people that have gone to Grimke and when they go do sort of like the live with tw- in Tweed sessions, um, I like to call them. And um, they always say it's super fun. And it is. It's like for dudes that are older that are already in full-time ministry. So you're, you're not like you're like all the arrogance has been sort of like strained <laughs> out of them by that point. And probably all the, you know, just, you know, any sense of life and energy and, you know, all of that, you know, ministries probably strained that out of them, you know. So they're a little more realistic and they're looking to um, really just kind of hang out you know, and, and try to make it an enjoyable thing more than anything else. And I think that's, I mean, that's how it's been for my doctoral stuff. It's like, it's all older dudes. I'm not even the oldest dude in these things, which is surprising at this stage of life. And, um, it's keep, so keep that other guy alive. Them, well, dude, I mean, seriously. And, and when you get like, like it's, it's a weird camaraderie. Like, so, so in my classes, I, <laughs> it took me a minute but I found this one dude that is as miserable as I am doing it. And that dude, mm. that is hard to find. <laughs> and I found this one dude that's like, dude, I would literally, I'd literally rather be doing anything right now. 
And it was like this big shining like star like shined over him when I heard him say that. And we just kind of like text back and forth now. And we're, it's fun because we kind of yeah. found kindred spirits. So it's, I, I have a question about that, though. And, and then I have a, a broader grad school question for both of you. My, my question about that is like nobody has a gun to your guys' head saying go get a doctorate. Like if, if it's so terrible, like why are you doing it? Well, you I know think, what I mean? I mean, yeah, I know. Some it's, cost. It's, too, it's more time than yeah. we got, but like it was one of those things where, you know, I had to, I needed a couple of doors to open for me to get into the program. Mm-hmm. Those doors opened. We thought, let's do it, right? So let's just mm-hmm. jump in. Mm-hmm. And then um, for me, I like T, we've talked about this. Like I, I wouldn't mind maybe like, mm-hmm. like doing some teaching on that at that level. Yeah. And so, yeah. you, I mean, you just, uh, you got for that level, you got to have this degree. And it's like, yeah. all right. So it's like, you know, I, I don't know, you, you know, it's, it, it, it's, uh, it's just, it was one of those things where you just, in the moment, you're like, it's an opportunity, you dive through it, and then it ends yeah. up being, it ends up being a, not, maybe not different than you thought, but like, mm-hmm. it ends up coming at a time in life that's been incredibly, like, inconvenient, and it's made a lot of other things <laughs> yeah. overwhelming, and dude, it's the whole deal, right? Yeah, but, yeah. I get boring, it, but it's boring. Yeah, no, I get it. I totally get it. Boys, let's take a break for some more fake ads that won't pay us money, and then we'll come back, and I got another grad school question. All right, we're back. Um, here's my question. Pipe, you're, you're getting a doctorate, correct? No, master's. Really? Okay, so this is, this is fascinating no, I just, to me. I just, yeah, I just pretended to be a master of things prior. Now I actually have to earn the title. <laughs> <laughs> My question was going to be, I don't feel like anybody gets a master's anymore. I feel like these, these places are just, they're, they're peddling doctorates. And it's like everybody's getting a doctorate now. Uh, but I, I like that you're kind of going the other way and getting a, getting a master's. Um, yeah, big, big pivot, big plot twist, everybody. Big plot twist, huge. You know, the big thing now, T, is that there. So a lot of dudes aren't getting M divs anymore; they're getting M A's now, right? So that's that's really a big pivot. Yeah. Now, what would your what would your M A be in? What what would the field of study be? I I don't know. What's yours, Pipe? Is it just like a master of theological? Yeah, masters of theological studies. So it's kind of a okay. It's kind of a general theology degree. You can you can like do an emphasis with it that's more ministerial. So preaching or you know those the urban ministry etc um but it's just a baseline masters of theological studies gosh guys i got another scintillating question are you ready for it i've never had this much fun in my life on a podcast incredible time of fun everybody's having right now it's it's off it's so electric i've already decided I've, i've already decided on the title for this episode and it's Misery Loves Company Academic Edition. So I think it's I love it. So my question is, how does the MA differ from the MDiv? Like what's the is there a like a tangible difference or yeah, is it the just MDiv semantics? Is, the MDiv is you learn Hebrew and Greek and the MA okay. doesn't require Hebrew and Greek. That's it. Oh, there you go. Yeah. 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 Also, okay. I think okay. I think the MDiv is like 80 more credits. I mean, people go to school for like 11 years to get an MDiv. It is more credits. That's yeah. true too. You're right, Pipe. That's true too. It's, but, yeah. it is a, you know, it, it's an, it's an aggressive degree. Um, but yeah. All right, Ted, I have another question for you. Uh, and then yeah, we, can, we, we can get to the writing stuff in a minute because that will be far more yeah. interesting for listeners, I'm sure. But this is me just lancing some academic boils. Yeah. So, 
you, you don't assign things this way, but you work in an environment where it is the norm. And it is when, you know, professors are like, well, you're going to read this entire systematic theology textbook by Christmas. Um, and, and, and then, you know, four professors do something similar. And so there's just this reality of like, I have to churn through this work and I can either learn stuff or I can get the work done, but I can't do both. Um, yeah. how, how does, I'm not even sure what the question is other than what the heck? Like, why, why is this, why is this the educational theory that like reading a thousand pages in, in like cursory fashion perusal yeah. is, is more yeah. beneficial than something that actually is like invested and focused and maybe I'll glean something from it. Well, there again, you're dealing pipe with, it's just a syllabus flex. You know what I mean? It's, it's like academics, like professors have so little you know what I mean? They have actually so little to be proud of. Like, um, that's that's something they can hang their hats on. And it makes them feel like they've, they're creating, quote, a rigorous, like, learning environment or whatever. But to me, and you tell me if you're doing this already, but if not, I want to empower you to do it. Like, and, and I think people who tend to be rule followers have trouble with this. But I would like to empower you. And so you. You're, you're not really wondering if I'm doing this because you know exactly where I fall on the rule follower scale. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I would hope that you're picking through it and you're going, that has value for me. That's completely worthless. And you're, you're zeroing in on the things that have value because at the end of the day, look, they're not going to fail you. Like nobody gets failed anymore. You know what I mean? You can't, you can't fail anybody because you're a... You're a paying customer, you know, and, and they can't make the customer mad. So all the kind of academic rigor stuff is just sort of window dressing. And if you're doing your level best and you're like learning what you can from it and learning and gleaning things that are that are meaningful or life giving or going to help you in ministry or whatever, like I would I would sort of empower you to disregard the rest. And it's like it's the kind of academic triage that even young people people have to do like undergrads you know and tristan's taking i don't know 15 hours this semester and he's making the same choices right like you can't do everything at a at a high level so you have to kind of decide what you're going to do at a low level what you're not going to do at all and then what you really want to do at a high level yeah that, that would be my advice i mean boys i have some i have some uh i have some stuff i want to discuss off the air in regards to that but, oh wow <laughs> yeah but that's okay. uh Maybe that's, that's uh, so intriguing and and so much so that it feels like perhaps what you have to discuss off the air might be more interesting than any Oh, it's so much thing. more it's incredibly more interesting. And again, I could <laughs> Granted I could, it wouldn't take much. You I know. could just right. I mean, I could literally say anything after yeah. this podcast and it would be more interesting than what we're talking about right now. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. For sure. Uh, pipe or run anything other any anything else on academics before we pivot into writing only that i i want to i want to make a commitment to our yeah. listeners that we will <laughs> never we'll never do this, this again <laughs> yeah yeah well I, you know I, what yeah. though i'm guessing and and i would like to hear you guys try to put a percentage on this what percentage of our listeners are seminary nerds oh, i've, I've got to yeah. think it's 45 50 maybe yeah. a good half you know, yeah, I think there's so a good percentage. Loving. Yeah, it's hard yeah. to put a number on it, but I, I would imagine pretty high. Or like seminary wives. You know, your husband goes to seminary and you're kind of left to like, you know, pay, raise pay all the bills for five years and pay all the bills and like be the be the sole breadwinner and all the other things that 
you know, those ladies have to deal with. Yeah, so. that's a great gig, right? A yeah, what an awesome wife. gig. Yeah. Oh, dude, I mean, can you imagine anything anything more enjoyable? No, in fact, well, I'm going to encourage K- KK to go to seminary <laughs> so I can get a little taste of it. There, there are a couple seminaries that historically have done, like, seminary wives programs where they, uh, where it's, it's basically, like, home ec and pastor's wives training and like it's like it's almost like etiquette classes and all sorts like dude yeah it's a real thing that sounds awesome dude i love how your husband goes to seminary and then like now they're making you suffer even more yeah they're like and you need to have a bouffant and have a nice tea service and and you're like wow he's gonna come back even more insufferable right (laughs) his sermons and and his even his anecdotes are gonna be more long and boring i can't wait Oh, good grief. Boys, let's talk about a, a slightly lighter topic, and that is how we, how we get out of slumps as writers. Um, we're familiar with slumps in, in baseball pipe and hitting and uh, various athletic slumps, but uh, as far as getting in a writing slump, I don't know if this is like you can't write anything or everything you write is bad. I don't know really the, the spirit behind the question. Do you, do you have any more clarity on that, Pipe? I don't. I just saw it sort of pinging around amongst, you know, friends of mine who are writers of various like online writers, published authors, etc. And there was a there's a lady who posed this question online. And uh, and so there and the responses were coming in, you know, all sorts of practical advice. And it was but yeah, just how do you what what are, what are your practices or habits to get out of writing slumps? And that was the entirety of it. So I think we get to interpret it however we want. Interesting. Do you do you have any that like spring to mind for you? Well, it's. I feel like from I, I do not approach writing romantically at all in the term in terms of like needing ideal conditions. It, it, it's always it's always kind of just doing the work, and I, I like mm-hmm. it, but it's not. Uh, mm-hmm. And so that means that the writing slump thing. It, I don't know what a writing slump is in the same term that like uh, a novelist might feel, where they're like, I'm just stuck in this story. I don't know my way forward. I'm just like, I got to turn the assignment in whether it's a book or a paper or whatever. Um, So I don't, I don't have any that are like, man, when I'm just locked up and I've got nothing, but I, I don't write for a living either. So very rarely am I just like staring at a blank screen going, I have nothing and my deadline is in six hours, which, yeah, I mean, I used that, that used to happen when I did more columns and stuff, but so yeah, it's, for me, it has more to do with just, the discipline and the habit of like, you just sit down and do it. Like writing slumps kind of don't matter. You just kind of have to work through them. Yeah. You're our editors definitely don't care if we feel like we're in a slump. That's for sure. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like movie writers always have, yeah. Movie writers have great solutions to this. They like do mescaline or like go rent a cabin (laughs) on the ocean or whatever. And like no one I know actually does any of those things, but um, baby, what about you? You got any, any great slump busters? Dude, you know what? It's funny. It's a little more like pipe, I think, especially if you're just writing, you know, kind of Christian content, you know, mm-hmm. you know Christian living content where it's like, mm-hmm. I think my slump is when I'm so bored with what I'm writing. I, I'm just <laughs> like, I'm just not doing it. I'm not getting anything done, you know? And it's like, cause I just don't feel like writing. So I just have a hard, I have a real hard, like, um, if I'm not, if I literally don't feel like it and I just keep typing the same, you know, sentence, you know, because I'm bored and I'm looking at other things. I just <laughs> yeah. walk away. I just don't, I just won't write. So unless yeah. I'm like feeling that flow and I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm into it and my mind's, you know, it's kind of all, it's firing on all cylinders. 
I just I'm like, man, it'll be it'll be better tomorrow. And yeah, hopefully it's not. I mean, yeah, I mean, dude, you get up to that thing where it's due tomorrow. And I mean, gosh, if you're if you're at that point, and you don't have at least the majority of the content in place. And then I'll do stuff like where I'll uh, I'll just end something. <laughs> I did this on this last book I just finished where there was a couple of chapters where they needed to be longer. And I didn't really finish my thought, but I just stopped and I just turned it in. And it's like, just see what they said, because it's like, whatever. I mean, it's nobody else is going to know that, that I just stopped because you got to stop yeah. somewhere. And yeah. um, and the editors were like, oh, we like the way you ended that one. <laughs> like, OK, we're yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I just don't really stress about it, I think, is the big thing for me. I don't make a, it's not a huge stress. But if you're working on something, um, I think if you're working on something more like creativity oriented, right, mm-hmm. like if it like what Pipe said. If it's more like a like I don't know I don't like a like it's more story based yeah. something you're making up if you're making up something like you can legitimately hit like a you know creative block I think because you yeah just, that is true there, there's no rules right you're just making it up and so yeah yeah I don't know what about you T yeah I think mine's similar to yours like I really I enjoy feeling it when I'm writing yeah and if I don't feel it. I'll do something else, even for like a half hour or an hour or whatever. I'll I'll just do some administrivia or grade some papers or do something else that I have to do so that my mind is more clear. Yeah, for sure. For the thing that I want to do, so you know that that's kind of operative for me. Um, you know, I I feel like people are always looking for like, oh, I take a walk or I exercise <laughs> or. You know, and there, there's no magical way to have something insightful to say and know exactly how to say it other than yeah. just trying it, you know, trying it out. So to Pipe's point, like, and I think we're all we're all at a place in our careers where the romance is largely gone. So it's like I'm either doing this or not doing it and I want to be done. So I should just do it and I should just work my way through it and try some stuff. And maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. Sometimes I'll read it out loud to my wife. Uh, sometimes mm-hmm. I'll have her read it, and I'll like look over her shoulder at her reactions while she's reading it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, in addition to being kind of fun, that that often like shows me whether or not a thing is working. And um, you know, so that's fun. And I mean, look, like there's there's very little about being a writer that's like lucrative or actually satisfying so like if if you can entertain your wife with something that you've written like that's that's uh it's worth probably the most success you're gonna have that's about the the most success or the most joy that we're gonna have in this so uh so we might as well take it while we can boy that was this is feeling like uh, talking about academia now isn't it boy it kind of (laughs) is dude and it's okay so here's here's an overarching question that we can end with and this is a stage of life thing, I think, for all of us. And it's definitely coming out in the, in the program. I think there are people who really, really feel romantic about academia and who really, really feel romantic about writing. And we aren't those people. And my question is, why not? Like, we're three very different people. And I know, baby, for you and me, like... You and I have the gear to like feel romantic about stuff. Um, like we can get romantic about all kinds of things, and like Pipe and I get romantic about baseball and sports. And like I know he has that gear too, but the three of us can't get romantic about the academy, nor can we get romantic really about writing. And I'm just curious as to why you guys think that is. I'm interested. Uh, Pipe, do you have thoughts? 
I mean, I, I think some of it is just ro- being romantic about something feels like a luxury to me. It feels like it, it, it's something one can only do when one has very little else to do. That's true. And yeah, so that's a good like, point. I don't know. I feel like I, I could probably be much more sort of caught up in the, the, uh, inspiration and creativity and romanticism of writing if i had time to do something other than this is my two-hour window i've got to hammer stuff out and so there's just life sort of it's not like it's ground the enjoyment out of things for me it's just changed the like i am not doing this to like give me warm and fuzzies i'm i'm doing it for a another purpose and how I decided to do it in the first place was gauged on something else too. Like people who get into being a writer for romantic reasons will probably have that ground out of them. Yeah. Maybe they can maintain some of it, but yeah, I think, I think for me, it just romanticism feels like a luxury, you know, like my, my, my wife several months ago was watching, um, Anne of green Gables and there's just sort of like, a walking through fields pace of life where everything is wondrous and beautiful. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> if I ever had time to do what she's doing, I might feel somewhat similar, but my also, life. So Anne is a child, you know? Yeah. There's <laughs> that too. Uh, no Romanticization is a, yeah, it's a child's thing, you know? And, and I think in a positive way, it's a child's thing, right? Like we, we romanticized everything when we were kids. Like we were all going to play in the NFL or like go to the moon or, you know, change the world or whatever. But like, it is kind of a child's thing. And I would say I got into writing largely for romantic notions. And I, I was able to maintain it for like a decade, which I think is pretty good. Um, but then, yeah, like around age 30, you become an adult. You've got some kids. Like it's it's harder to sort of, indulge yourself in that way i guess um baby your thoughts on why we're not romantic about the academy or writing well look i think so you said it earlier big t like so i i i have my i have my romantic phases for things Mm -hmm. that i do on a creative level so they're Mm -hmm. still there they're still intact so Mm -hmm. my favorite part of doing anything is like dreaming about doing it about what it's going to be what it's going to look like what it's going to sound like and I love that. That's my favorite mm-hmm. part. So my favorite two parts are dreaming about what it's going to be. And then after the end of it, looking back on what it became, um, the middle part, the actual doing of it is just, I don't, it, it's hard to be romantic about that because it's blood, sweat and tears at the end of the day, right? You're just, yes, you're just yeah. putting in the hours. You like, yeah. you've got to make the thing, right? Yes. But, um, mm-hmm. but I, but I, I, lo- I love dreaming about the possibility of something and I, I love that part of it. I always have. That hasn't changed yeah. for me. I still do it. It's a reason why I even do it. I mean, you, I mean, you could argue the reason why anybody does anything is because it started off with you being romantic about it, having the desire to do it, envisioning what it could be. I, mm-hmm. I just love that part of it so much. I love that part of it too much, I think. Yeah. And I can get, um, I can get a little... I can get a little miserable in the execution part in the middle of it when it's like, okay, look, this is all the dream phase is over. I'm not yeah. yet to the completion phase. And now I'm just like swimming in a pool of misery because the, all my, all the romance is gone now, but I love that beginning part so much that yeah. that's why I keep doing the things I do because I'm living off of that initial romance. I love it. Yeah. I used to love it. And I think I would enjoy loving it again. I, I, I used to love that beginning part. Um, I was like you in that. Baby, it can come back. It can return. 
I hope so. Return you know, and it's not like I'm it's not like I'm miserable in it now, but like yeah, there's just a when you've been around so long, like you you know how good a thing is going to do. You know right. what I mean? And like you know your record isn't going to ship 1.5 million units. Like you you just know. And so you can't like drive around and dream about being the guy who shipped that many units. You know what I mean? And, but I think and, that's what shifted to you. I think, and that's a great point, by the way. Yeah. But I think what shifted for me is the, I think, I think, yeah, I think in my, in my, um, I think in earlier days, mm-hmm. um, it was, how is it going to do? And now yeah. it's just more about the fact that I got to create something that I like mm-hmm. in that, whatever. Yeah. If it's 10 people or 10,000 people, like somebody's going to enjoy it for sure. Yeah. Um, and that's not what I'm basing it on. I just love the yeah. fact that I was able to create something new. And mm-hmm. I don't know, getting over the fact that, yeah, it's not, you know, it, it's it's not going to buy me that second house. Yeah. Know? No, I know. And And it's actually good to get to that place where you're realistic about stuff. I mean, I think to a large degree, the movie... And like trying to do the movie has ruined me on on this stuff for a mm. while. You know, that's just been such a tremendous mountain to get over. And there's been so much like disunity and disagreement within our team. It's just quite frankly been miserable for a few years. Like the fun romantic part, which was really fun and romantic. Like that really, it delivered and it hit at a high level. I would say... From the screenwriting phase all the way through production and even a little bit after production, like there there were real romantic vibes around it. But then, yeah, the reality of, okay, everybody disagrees. Like, how do we <laughs> how do we actually do this and get it done in a way that, you know, the four of us can live with? Um, and yeah, that industry being, is a, just a different animal, isn't it? I mean, you, that yeah. thing, I mean, that industry, I mean, things can get stuck. Oh yeah, pre post production for like decades, right? Dude, it's totally, like, it's, and it's, it's and it's yeah, miserable. It's yeah. You know, it's miserable, and and you're, you know, you're kind of in and out of fellowship with various people at different times, and it's like there's a part of me that's like, I wish I'd never tried to do this because this was the big dream, right? It was it was the big swing, and um, I don't know. I, I look backward on it sometimes, and I think, wow, like truly smart people don't try to do this. You know, <laughs> like um, it's only idiots like like myself who would take a swing at something like this but hopefully we can finish that i can get it out of my system and then i can get back to like enjoying dreaming about stuff that last sentence is only accurate if you define smart by risk averse which yeah i mean almost every significant like launch of anything it involves some amount of risk whether it's emotional risk or financial risk or whatever so like i don't i don't know that that's the definition of smart i would also say ted you said something earlier in the podcast that sort of cracks the window into like you still have some some of this sort of romanticism in your life because you talked about you love teaching because you love going into the classroom and seeing like magic happen for the students that that's a romantic notion of the best sort you know where there's sort of this this intangible motivation motivating like oh that's beautiful what just happened there and it's not like you don't check the box on that you don't you're not like accomplished my thing for the day it was like man that was that was (laughs) the sort of intangibly wonderful experience dude right like you know it when you see it and i think as students i i would hope and i don't know because i've never been to seminary but i did go to grad school you know a decade and a half ago 
like I would hope that there are some magical moments on the student side left for you guys where you come away from a piece of reading or come away from a lecture or a discussion in a class and go like, wow, like that was really insightful or it was fun. It was enlivening. Um, you know, I, I would hope that's still on the table for you guys. I, I think, um, I think it is, you know, it's funny because people have asked me this and I've, I've like in this doctorate thing, I've actually learned a lot and it's actually helped me at a local church level in a, in probably three or four like major categories. That's no exaggeration. Hmm. And it's been really good. I think what, I think what bothers me so much about it is it's not, it's not what we've learned. It's the way that we have to go about learning it. And like, that's mm, just a big mm. feature for me. Right. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I just think there's a better way to do this. Not because I know what the better way is. I'm not, I'm not like one yeah. of those guys, but I yeah. just think like, it shouldn't be this sloggy. And I know it's supposed to be hard. <laughs> yeah, I know it's it supposed shouldn't. to be hard, but like yeah. it sh- there should be some element of like, gosh, this th- it has a way of reaching into what you are able to excel at and enhance that. Yeah. And it's just like, dude, it just hasn't done that. And it's like everything can't be a slog, and yet like right. everything's been a slog, you know. Yeah, and I think that's a, I think it's a failure. You know, I do. I, I think it's a failure because, as a teacher, I don't think any teacher at the beginning of their career goes into it going, "I hope my students really feel as though this is a slog." You know what I mean? <laughs> like I, and I, I would even go so far as to say with. You know, with stuff like ministry in the Bible and definitely for writing with me, like as a teacher, it really needs to be joyful. Like writing is fun. It's why I became a writer. Like I enjoy doing it and I want my students to enjoy doing it. And I want the process of the classroom side and all the practice that we do to be basically joyful. And I always tell them like, look, you're not going to enjoy all these assignments. You know, you'll enjoy some of them and, and I enjoy some of them and I don't enjoy some of them. And you know, that's just being human. But like, I think writing should be pretty deeply joyful. And if my students were to come away from a class going, yeah, that was a slog, um, I'd be bummed. You know, I, I would be genuinely bummed and I would try to change something. You know 100%. what I mean? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And I think that's such a great, I think that's such a great point where even, I, it's almost like, I mean, T, here's the question for you. I mean, yeah. is would it be hard? Is it hard not to get sort of like, sort of entrenched in the system that they place you in. So you could yeah. be somebody with good intentions and say, man, I just, I, it's not about the amount of work. I just want everybody to be challenged, but I want them yeah. to have a good time. But man, what I'm faced with, like I'm faced with certain realities that it's going to be really hard to make it that way. Is that true? Is that? Yeah. Yes and no. I mean, I think it's, it's less true than we think it is because at the end of the day, we are alone in our classrooms and we're alone to craft a syllabus or build a class. And at the end of the day, we're also just in customer service. And as long as like the seats are full and people are happy, the administrators are happy, you know? And there's, there's lots of talk and like rhetoric that would, that would seem to be at odds with what I just said. But at the end of the day, that's the true, that's the true thing. Um, but I think, I think where it gets sloggy in the academy on the teacher side is to make the model work. And by the model, I mean seminary in your case or a small Christian college in my case. To make the business model work, every one person that's good at their jobs ends up doing like two and a half to three jobs. Right. And it's administration, it's committee work, it's 
you know, meeting with people and having coffee with that guy or this guy or whatever. And at the end of the day, all of the ways that they nickel and dime you make you bad at the thing that they hired you to be good at. And I think that's probably operative for a lot of professors and maybe even seminary professors, if that makes sense. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So you got, you got to, I think on the faculty side, you got to really guard against that. And you've got to say, so for me, and I am using the word rubric here. So now oh, all of our audience gosh. members have left. Yes. Like, oh, they're already gone. They have, they've made <laughs> it this far. Academic <laughs> bingo complete. Academic bingo. I've got rubric, you know, um, no, I've developed kind of a rubric for like what I say yes to. And it's actually helped me to say no because I'm a person who's terrible at saying no because I really desperately need to be liked. And um, the, ne- the need to be liked is at odds with saying no. But like for me, it, the, the rubric is kind of at the top, will it lead to more discipleship? Will it lead to like true discipleship? If so, then I'm saying yes. Hmm. Um, you know, next might be, will it move my program forward or our department, our department forward? And if the answer is yes, I'm probably saying yes to it. Um, you know, and a level below that is, is it something that I enjoy? Like, will, will this thing bring me, bring me joy? And then I'll say yes to that. But beneath that, there's a whole lot of other things that you get asked to do that don't check any of those boxes. And it's become easier to say no to those things. Yeah. That um, so that's been helpful. And that helps me be better at teaching because I'm not burned out. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, dude. I mean, I am burned out. But yeah, uh, no, we, we theoretically, I'm not burned out. <laughs> yeah, you know? theoretically. Like in a perfect world where you don't have to like teach, go to school, pay your bills, or really do anything that requires a lack of fun. You're the greatest, yeah. most happy, fulfilled guy that ever lived. <laughs> exactly. Take away all the money. Take away <laughs> That old joke, dude. That's like a decade. No, that's a great one, man. We haven't yeah, used that in a while, baby. We've got to bring that out. we got to get on yeah, the desk. Boys, we should end this program. I this would been, love that. I would love all of you. It's been interesting, boring, is how I would say it, um, <laughs> which is a lot like most of our well, classes, I bet. I, I think most people listen to this podcast because it's like sitting at a table with guys having a conversation that they're not really having, but it, it would be interesting if they were yeah. part of. This is sitting at a table with guys wishing you could leave the table because that conversation's not interesting. They're like, oh my gosh, I'm glad I'm not at that table. Uh, I mean, when I, are they going to pay I, the check and leave? This this dinner is going forever. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we should offer like, hey, for everybody that made it this far in the program, we will send you something. <laughs> yeah. Signed and autographed. Yeah. Not money. <laughs> we'll send you something. Yeah, we'll send you something. Boys, we've done what we always do on this program in that we've wandered to and fro throughout a little academia, a little writing, a little complaining. Um, It's been interesting, boring. (laughs) And until next time. We want to take a moment to thank the team at Life Audio for partnering with us on this podcast. Be sure to go to lifeaudio.com and take a look at the other podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Hello, my name's Rachel Carmen, and I want to invite you to come over and listen to my podcast. It's called Real Refreshment. For years and years as a young mother, I chased after the wind, thinking that the world could offer me the refreshment I longed for. But it was only when I discovered it in the person of Jesus Christ that I really found refreshment. Come on over and join me 
as we dig into Bible study. I'll see you there.